0: Welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Karl Mascarenas. And today we also have a special guest to break down Manchester United's 1-0 win over AC Milan. Joseph Cacharo, senior writer for The Score and host of Pound the Rock. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess thanks for having me. Uh, Like I told you guys when I (laughs) I first joined this call. uh, I was a lot more excited to do this before today's match actually happened. Uh, For anyone that doesn't know... I tried to will this all into existence. The very reason I'm here is I essentially invited myself. I want to say like a few months ago. How long have you guys been doing this now?
0: So literally October is when I announced on Twitter that we were going to start the right. pod. And you replied, like AC. ASAP.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: AC Milan United Europa we will break it down. Yeah. I think
1: I think Milan. my exact tweet was can't wait to be on the show after Milan eliminates United from the Europa League, which was like a kind of a tongue in cheek <laughs> way to make fun of all of us for yeah. you know being fans of these storied clubs that now all we have to look forward to in Euro- European competition is Europa League. Uh and then they end up getting drawn together and yeah, after last week and, and the equalizer I was actually thinking, wow, I might have willed this into existence, but
2: no. Paul Pogba had something to say about that,
0: okay. United are <sighs> away kings, man. But, you know, before we get into breaking down the match, Cash, obviously everyone knows you for all your basketball content. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you actually became a Milan fan?
1: Yeah. Um, not a crazy story, pretty basic, but kind of funny. So um, growing up, when I was, like, really, really young, my first memories like that I can actually recall – of soccer would have been, uh, unfortunately it it ended in heartbreak, but would have been the 94 World Cup. I was five years old. Baggio took Italy on that run to the final against Brazil. As I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, you know, grow up in um, heavy soccer, heavy football cultures. I remember as a kid that summer, like it being family events, right? Like all of Italy's matches in that World Cup and just uh, the way, for whatever reason, you know, watching Baggio do what he did that summer, The way it made my family feel like I, Baggio was like one of my first like true sporting icons, you know, growing up as a sports obsessed kid, I'd say like the first three athletes I like can remember like standing, like thinking these guys were like gods were Roberto Baggio, Doug Gilmore and Joe Carter. And so I don't really have memories like when I was really young of club football and the only memories I had really of Serie when I was young is like Sunday afternoons at nonnu and Nonna's house, like Italian-Canadian programming back then, whether it was like on Chin TV or like what well, like, used TLN. to be CFMT or like TLN. Yeah, CFMT is now Omni, I believe. Anyway, they would just show like highlights or scores. And I didn't really like know much of what was going on. But my I I remember like so vividly being at my grandparents' place, my nonna's place, and when they were showing highlights, this would have, I want to say it was about 96-ish, 97, they were showing highlights, and they were showing Baggio, who at the time played for AC Milan. So me at that time, not really knowing much about club soccer, just seeing Baggio and being like, oh, that's the team he plays on when it's not international competition, being like, okay, I like that team. Now, the the funny thing about that is if like anyone's familiar with Baggio's career, Those, that was a, the shortest stint of his career was with Milan. (laughs) And by far the worst, like he, that was like his career dip. If there were rises and falls, like that was a low point for him. He was terrible at Milan. He only spent two years there out of his legendary career. If anything, he was better at inter than he was at AC. His prime was in Juventus. But anyway, for whatever reason, you know, because I love Baggio so much and my first association with Serie A was, oh, Baggio plays for AC Milan. All right. I guess I like AC Milan. And then actually started following it as a kid. And then, okay, like Baggio leaves. But by that point, I had actually started following AC a bit when they were on TV. And then I like absolutely fell in love with the, you know, the squad when they had Dita and Net and Maldini and Nesta at the back and Sadorf and Pirlo and Gattuso and Inzaghi and Shevchenko. Like that was the team I really, really fell for. And then at that point, I had just developed such a loyalty that it just became a thing. You know, like at that point, it was just, I was a Milan supporter and it started with this silly thing of me just seeing that Baggio played for that team, watching highlights when I was like seven, but then it developed into this great love. And then a lot of my friends growing up, Italian and non-Italian, liked Juve. Um, A lot of kids like Zidane or like Davids. And so I was like the one kid that didn't like Juventus. I liked AC Milan. And so then my grade eight year when AC and Juve played in the Champions League finals, I was already like you know, a Milan supporter that really liked that team and wanted to see them win. But the fact that it was also like I was this outsider among my friends and was the only one not rooting for Juve, it gave me like an even bigger sense of pride. And Milan won that on PK. So scored the winner. Uh, And yeah, I mean, really long way of saying, I just kind of developed the bond when I was young. And then I'm sure you guys know how it is. Like you, you develop this loyalty to a club and then you just can't wash it away, right? Like even now in all these dark years for Milan, they haven't won anything in like a decade, essentially. Uh, of significance anyway like they haven't won a scudetto since 2011 i think they haven't even made the quarters of a european competition in like nine years but as i'm sure you guys know no matter which club in which sport you're supporting you can't just like turn it off you know i've even had people say okay like now that you're older you know for example my family's from southern italy that's where my parents were born. So like Milan's as north as it gets. And the divide in Italy between north and south is very contentious. And the only northern club southerners like is Juventus. So even that people have been like, oh, now that you're older and you like get it, like you still like Milan? I'm like, yeah, because I can't just like I've, I've developed this loyalty to the club. I can't just now wake up and be like, OK, I don't feel it anymore. You know, I don't care. About, I do. I, so, yeah, there's that. Um, and also like where my family's from in Italy in Calabria. First of all, there's like not a lot of good clubs in that region. Like, I don't know how big of like Italian soccer fans you guys ever were, but like the one Calabres club was Reggio and and like they're not a factor anymore. Crotone is actually in Serie A. They're from Calabria, but they're the worst club. And then the club that actually represents like specifically where my family's from, Cozanza, they're like in Serie B. They used to be in Lega Pro, which was Serie C. To give you an idea of how small town that club is, When I was in Cozanza a few years ago and I wanted a jersey, I literally was able to walk into the stadium while the team was practicing, went in and tried to say I wanted to buy a jersey. They had nothing in smaller sizes. So my options were buy an XL and get it uh, fitted for me when I got back to Canada. Or because it was such a small inky dinky club, the guy that was working in the, the retail store went and checked in the dressing room to see if any of the players had some extra smaller jerseys <laughs> lying around that he was just going to give me and then came back and was like, nope, sorry, you got to just buy this XL one and fit it. So that's also another reason why there was like no local club mm. for me or my family to root for because they were all like small town potatoes.
0: Man, that's a crazy story. So you gave us like your three sporting idols. Who would you say are like the top three italian players that you've watched
1: like in terms of who i think are the three best or like my three favorites because
0: let's go three favorites let's go three favorites
1: okay so baggio because he was like my first love you know the second one is tough because there's so many to choose from from the era of like Pirlo, um totti cannavaro i always had like a real soft spot for totti i know he was a bit of a bad boy i know he was a bit of a hothead who did some really stupid things but I did love watching him play so much and I kind of like the attitude he played with. So I might lean Totti. But the third one I'd go with, and the guy who for a long time was like straight up my favorite athlete on planet Earth was Mario Balotelli. And uh, oh, wow. I know his career didn't end up going the way a lot of people, myself included, thought it or hoped it would. But the combination of like what he was on the pitch at his best when he was young, but also like what he... What he could have represented, what he did represent for Italy as like a nation, culturally, uh, the power that he had in that country as you know, one of the few black men representing the nation on a, on a national sporting level, and he was treated just terribly, like was never given the adoration he deserved from his own people. Uh, yeah, I just wanted success for that guy so bad and like just like loved what he represented so much and and like I said, it's a shame that Italians, not all Italians, like plenty loved him, but it's a shame that a lot of Italians like didn't accept him. Didn't, like I said, give him the adoration he deserved, man. Cause that guy really, he really did represent a potential cultural t- turning point in Italy and not enough people recognized it.
2: That's pretty, that's pretty powerful actually what you said, because Balotelli is always this polarizing figure, right? You either loved him or you yeah. hated him for me. I mean, we experienced him quite a bit in the premier league because yeah. he played for a couple of different teams and, I thought he was at his best when it was with City. I think uh, Mancini was the only guy who was able to get the best out of him. He he, yeah. he had this tough love where you know, it's like a slap on the face, but Balotelli reacted the right way. Who can forget that uh, infamous moment where he pulled up his shirt and he said, yeah. why always me? Yeah. After he had the fireworks go off the That's night right. before in his house <laughs> before the Manchester Derby. And oh, he score,
1: then back. he scored the brace in that yeah. 6-1 win over United. Yeah. And then the other time, wasn't it that season that, the second or the first of the two times they met was the time he got into it with Ferdinand. And like, there's the famous picture of Balotelli like winking, like calm as a cucumber, just winking at Ferdinand while Ferdinand's going nuts trying to get at him. Yeah, man. Like I said, I know, you know, some of it was his own fault. He didn't live up to the potential, but man, I love that guy so much. And the shame of it was, is like, That guy took so much abuse from his own people in Italy. And yet at the end of the day, like all he wanted to do was represent Italy. And it's kind of like tragic, but yeah. So that's, I probably lean Totti um, in the middle. Baggio was like my first love and and Balo as the more contemporary.
2: So I can see you have a a love for more of the attacking players because man, when I think of defenders and best defenders only italians come to mind for me (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah no listen i definitely have a lot of pride and i'm like italian people in general have a lot of pride for the the like just absolute succession of legendary defenders that came out of the nation whether it was maldini who i obviously loved as a kid especially because you know he captained milan for so long uh even man cannavaro like cannavaro's performance in the 2006 world cup yeah was like I don't think if you took careers I don't think he's as good as Maldini but if you just took like every defender I've ever seen or every Italian defender at least and take them at their very absolute best and you took what Cannavaro was in that 2006 World Cup I don't know if I've ever seen a defender have a better run like that dude was dominating games in ways few defenders I've ever seen have it was unbelievable he won the Ballon d'Or didn't he he did, yeah. He didn't win it for the tournament. Zidane won it, mm. but he won yeah. it for the actual year. I, I mean,
0: I guess we can do a whole pot on Italian football, but <laughs> I think it's a good time to get yeah. into this match. Yeah. United coming into this game, obviously they had to set the tone because they conceded the late away goal to AC Milan in the first leg. Coming into it, we knew what the formations were going to be because both teams revert to that 4-2-3-1. That's their preferred style. Any lineup changes that surprised you there, uh, Cash?
1: I don't think anything really surprised me. I mean, we were talking off air before we started here about how for Milan, Rebic and Liao were out with injuries. So um, Liao being out, I think definitely hurt, but it didn't surprise me. I knew he was out. Um, Other than that, I'm trying to think of uh, Kalulu was...
0: So Dalo was out.
1: Right. Yeah. Kalulu and Hernandez were in at the back Mm -hmm. for Dalo.
0: Calabria. I think Calabria was out, right? he started... That's right,
1: yes. So, Kalulu and Hernandez were in for Calabria and Dalo. And then, uh, Chalinoglu was in, I believe, for Brahim Diaz. Yeah. And uh, and Castileo started in this, like, false nine thing. Uh, we can get into that as well. Like, the drop-off of going from Zlatan to a guy like that as your lone, like, true attacking option it was just brutal. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think anything really surprised me, but definitely nothing impressed me about the lineup. <laughs> changes. <laughs>
0: Carl, I mean, we, knew, we expected no lineup changes for United. That's how it played out. Did United start surprise you at all? Because, you know, they had to come out and set the tempo. It seemed like they definitely were the better side for the first 10-15 minutes.
2: But there was nothing, I would say, that was cutting edge. Actually, the way the game was played, it was played in a couple of stages. So from minute 0-10, to 10, United were the better side. In fact, in the first two minutes, they had two really good crosses. And it just looked like the players weren't awake. Greenwood had an ice cross once. James had an ice cross. But nobody was making the runs to the near post. And it was all of that, you know, cut it back 45, which we talk about almost every week now. And then after the 10-minute mark, Milan started to get more into the game. I thought Teo Oscar Hernandez was starting to give uh, some problems to Aaron Juan Bissaka. And then it was a complete midfield battle. The two defensive midfielders on either side just seemed to be intercepting cancelling and then the number of misplaced passes that occurred the commentator even mentioned that two high quality teams are playing each other you expect better passing but we definitely didn't see that in the in the first half at least it was it was poor i would say cash that's like usually been
0: the expectation with united where you have fred and scott in in this 4-2-3-1 formation and yeah, they'll take care of the dirty work and their defensive responsibilities, but attacking-wise, they really have nothing to offer. With the 4 2 one also being Milan's default formation, is that something that you've noticed as well, where it's so pivotal to have that number six that can spark the attack?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for, you know, for a lot of the year, I feel like Kessie in the middle has been so much of... Like he's been the engine that kind of makes Milan go. I just didn't think he had it today either. Like he he was far from his best. There has been moments this year where he's been the best player on the on the pitch by far. I mean, he had that goal and, that was
0: disallowed in the first. Like,
1: right? Yeah, like that cr- absolute cracker. That if I, let's not talk about why that. Wasn't you know? <laughs> it's good. Uh, so I don't want to start the conspiracy theories, here, but no. But for real, like he. I just didn't think he had that spark today. And I don't know, maybe he was banged up or, you know, it just wasn't his day. But I definitely think um, what I've noticed is when he isn't at his best, when he isn't that engine, like Milan just looks like a completely different team in attack. And they're really, really lackluster. And doubly so when, you know, like I was saying earlier, the drop off from Zlatan to whoever else is going to play at the top of the, you know, the 4-2-3-1. It was Castileo today and I thought I thought he was pretty awful, to be honest with you. And I don't think Zlatan was extremely threatening when he came on, but I definitely thought you noticed somewhat of an uptick in Milan's threatening ability when Zlatan came on. So I'd say the things I've noticed just throughout the year, yeah, like it, if Kessie isn't rolling, it's really hard for them to like build anything and attack. And if Zlatan's not in the lineup and and they've got one of these other Kind of pretenders trying to fill his shoes, the finishing is just really, really lackluster. And that's even something we saw last week. Like Milan got the result they wanted with that 1 1 away draw. But if you remember, like they were pretty dominant in that second half. And I'd say for like two thirds of the pitch, we're doing everything right. But their finishing in the second half last week was abysmal. And even, even that like final pass that would lead to the finish, I thought was terrible last week until they end up finding that equalizer. So, you know, they've had a surprising season overall, but you can definitely see that it's very, very dependent on, in my opinion, Kessie and Zlatan especially. I
2: thought even Salamaker, is that how you pronounce his name? Salamaker?
1: Yeah, Sal- Salamakers. yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought he was pretty ordinary as well. Well, whatever his, his name was, he wasn't performing on the pitch. I thought he was ordinary in the first leg because in the first leg, he actually had a couple of chances from outside the box and very tame shots. And then he had a really good opportunity where everything opened up for him and he just hit it at henderson who made a bz save i would say yeah. and, well the 24th and,
0: minute i thought that was like his best chance where he completely scuffed yeah. the shot
1: yeah and i'm talking about the one it was crossed yeah 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 right? yeah and then yeah, crossed from the right side and he he had more time i think yeah. than then he used and and yeah i thought that was actually maybe their best opportunity of the entire match to be honest with you
0: yeah, I mean there was that slot ton header later and then I think True. even even the yeah. 45th minute like right before halftime when Krunic shot wide on the counter that Salah uh, You know what? Created. I think
1: that might be the chance I'm thinking right. of is right before the half. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh that was from across from the right side and And it fell to him. And yeah, he missed by, I want to say like five to 10 feet left of the net.
0: So that was the one where I thought Salameka is like held on to the ball for way too long. And I was expecting him to send it in sooner and sooner and sooner. And like it never came. And then by the time it came, like it was still a decent chance. But I thought he had a chance to like tee someone up right in front of the net.
1: Yeah, I thought like you guys were saying, I thought he was lackluster for the majority of the two matches. I'm surprised they didn't make a substitution with him at some point today. But again, I just, I mean, Milan's got some injury issues and in general, like they don't have as many options as you'd like them to have, you know, with their backs against the wall, needing a goal. Uh, Like I actually think other than Zlatan, the only other true striker they had even on the squad today was Ricardo Tonin. It was like a 20 year old project. So I, I wish they had more to offer, but I don't really know what Pioli could have done much different.
0: So yeah, I think that segues nicely into the second half where again, you know, United have to take that initiative. They have to press and get that goal. So they bring on Paul Pogba for Marcus Rashford. Rashford, I would say it was a disappointing performance, but at the same time, it did feel a bit surprising that he came back for the West Ham match because he was dealing with an injury. So I don't know how much of that was playing in. Uh, a factor where he plays the full 90 and now it's a big game like you can't get much done so maybe it was a case where he could only give 45 and pogba could only give 45 and it worked out perfectly for united kind of a scramble in the box pogba gets the ball and then all of a sudden you see it with world-class players all the time right like everything is just going in slow motion for them he makes the fake which shifts donnarumma then he's looking away when he shoots. And so Donnarumma just puts a hand up like he did not see it coming. He did not expect a shot. And it's in the back of the net. United lead 1-0. Carl, that's what you have a world-class player for, to produce those world-class moments when you're struggling to find a spark.
2: You said it, Vivek, the word class. That had class written all over it. You know, just having that composure, standing in the box, to be able to pause, make a fake, while this player's running around all over you, and then just... They had the audacity to try that. It was just, you know, incredible. I think credit also goes to Fred, who tried this fancy flick that was never going to beat the keeper because <laughs> it was just <laughs> dribbling towards the keeper. And then he went to win it back because Milan had a brief chance to clear it, but Fred intercepted it. It went straight to Pogba, who took his time and then put it in the back of the net. And you could see that was the catalyst that United needed to grow into the game and... I think the word that comes to mind for me is game management because in the second half, they were able to manage the game a lot better, taking their time with the fouls, whether it was getting free kicks in the right area, frustrating Milan, getting a couple of cards after that. I thought that was something you don't see very often with this United team because they're pretty young and when it comes to that sort of experience play, it's always missing. So to be able to see that in this game in on the European stage against a big, big opponent was was very uh very nice to see as a United fan that was for sure.
1: I I definitely thought they did a good job of like choking the game off after that Pogba goal compared to you know when we talked about last week when Milan pretty much dominated after United went ahead it wasn't the case this week and yeah that that I mean look full credit to Pogba like you said that was it was that's what world class players do and it seems like world class players have uh, an ability and it's obviously in what they're doing but it's like they have an ability not just to to make the game move in slow motion but to to have some like paralyzing effect on the opposition because that's like as shambolic as i've seen milan's defense all season like that was just a wretched 15 seconds of defending carl mentioned it they had you mentioned they had a chance to clear they had two chances to clear and it's not they weren't very difficult chances either like there there wasn't a lot of thought that had to go into them and Yeah, whether it was, you know, the world class ability of Pogba standing beside him, whatever it was, there was a lot of paralysis there and uh, they paid for it dearly. Now, after the
2: goal went in, were you happy with the response that Milan had, including the substitutions that were made?
1: Well, I think it was because Zlatan came on after that. Zlatan wasn't on the pitch yet, was he? No, No, he he came
0: on after that. And then a little bit after that, I think it was around the 65th minute that Dalo came on as well.
1: Yeah. D- and Dalo Diaz and Ibra came on. came on at the same time actually for Colum and right, Castellano. Right, yeah, yeah. And then in the 72nd minute, Diaz came on for Krunic. Again, look, I, I don't think any of the substitutions really changed the game. So I, I can't give too much credit to Pioli, but I also can't really find fault in, in what he did. As I was mentioning, like there, there aren't a lot of attacking options for this club. And especially right now, given the injuries they've got right with, uh, with Liao and Rabich out. So It it wasn't inspiring, but again, I just I don't know what else Pioli could have done. I think at a certain point it was kind of you knew Zlatan was going to come on eventually, and and you hoped he could give them a boost, but that didn't end up being enough. And and I think you needed Milan needed the other guys to to step up and maybe play a little over their heads like they did last week. To be honest, and they just weren't able to do it.
0: Yeah, I think this highlights another problem that United have had, right? Like We've seen it these last few matches where Van der Beek's been injured, Cavani's been injured, Pogba's been injured. It kind of automatically selects the starting lineup, and it leaves Solskjaer extremely limited with his options off the bench as well. It just so happened that Pogba's back for this match, and so he had a trump card to play.
1: Three minutes into his... He had, what, been on the pitch three minutes, yeah. not even? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, how close was today's lineup or I guess maybe their closing line, like once Pogba got in the game, how, cause you know, admittedly haven't watched like a ton of United this of season, but how close was that second half um, lineup and formation to your guys, like full strength lineup this season or ideal lineup? Was it still pretty far off? Was it pretty close? Was it?
0: Well, so Rashford was subbed off. So realistically he's in there, right? Cavani has been the best striker for United this season. So he's probably up top. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of been a toss-up on the right side between James and Greenwood and I guess Diallo's sort of in the mix now, at least with the Europa fixtures. So, but besides that, I would say the back four and the two in front of them, that's kind of been the go-to for all the big matches. And then I guess uh, we can get into the other talking point, which has been uh, Dean Henderson, because he had... Uh, I'm interested to get your take on this, Cash, too, because... Uh, for Carl and I both, that was a huge mistake by Henderson at the end of that first leg. Like We didn't think there was any way he should have been letting that get past him. It It seemed like he reacted to the header late, and so he made it more complicated than it needed to be. But the response that he showed in this fixture lends toward the thinking that he will be ready to be the number one next season. I mean, 74th minute, someone like Zlatan, all he needs is a moment. He gets what's you know it's not a straightforward chance but bullet header and henderson is able to make the save
1: yeah i thought i mean look that's that's the save of the match right i know there maybe wasn't like a crazy thing like save in this match from either keeper that we'll be talking about years from now but i think um in this match they only needed that one big save from him and they got it and you know a lot of times for the big clubs that have good defensive abilities or organized at the back, you don't need a keeper. That's going to like stand on their head, right? If you have a keeper, that's just solid enough and makes that save when you need it, which I thought Henderson did. He did his job today. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, if I were you guys, I'd be encouraged by that, but I agree on last week's goal. I definitely thought that was his mistake. Uh, and, and he made up for it today on that Zlatan chance. I know, I think the commentators are saying Zlatan probably, Wished he could have got it a little closer to the post and and not as direct on. But, you know, again, he still had to make the save, Henderson, and and he did it.
2: I saw a couple of tweaks that Milan made that made them a lot more dangerous. So, obviously, Zlatan coming on. Milan actually had a focal point of which to play the ball towards. I thought Castellano was all over the place. Exactly. And the players just couldn't, like, chill (laughs) out. Charanaglu, I thought he has he clearly has the past within him and there's been rumors that he's been linked with United because he's out of contract correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. uh, in the summer I thought he was just looking for someone to play the ball to and he just had no one and then as soon as Zlatan came on every time he got the ball he would look up and you'll see where Zlatan was and he would played to him now Zlatan was offside way too many times <laughs> yeah but apart from that there's a slight shift they made as well where Kessie started to play a little bit more forward, a little bit more attacking and that changed the dynamic quite a bit. And Milan were getting onto the ball a little bit more. And I was actually scared for a second and I thought United did a good job. Harry Maguire was immense at the back, winning the headers. I think before Zlatan came on, it was just like meat and drink for Maguire. He had no problems (laughs) heading the ball and taking care of business. But I thought those tweaks were really impressive from Pioli. I could hear him on the sidelines barking throughout the whole game. What was your impression of those tweaks? Is that something that's pretty common where you send Kessie up more often when you're looking for a goal?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier too, where like that's when they've been at their best this season. And and when they had that great run to start the season where they looked like legit title contenders, they were in first place for half the season. It was, it was largely on the back. I mean, Kessie was out actually for a bit, but at their best, Kessie is in attack, um, definitely a little more. And they've got Zlatan as the target man up top. And they're just a completely different looking team in attack when that's the case and when it's not the case when Kessie's sitting back a little more there they lose a lot of the build-up play and then especially when Kessie's not really in attack mode and Zlatan's not up there and and you've got like you said Castileo just kind of running around not knowing where to be it it can be ugly to watch but for sure yeah I I noticed it and yeah I, I was wondering actually like whether it was something where was it like a a game plan change on Pioli's part, or was it Kessie maybe just recognizing himself? All right, well, we need to score now. I need to be in attack mode. I wish they would have been a little more aggressive to start the game. I know it's tough because you come in thinking, they, like, you know, a, a nil nil draw would have sent Milan through, but I hate the, I hate coming in thinking like that, you know, and playing for that. It's, you know, kind of playing not to lose. Uh, although it has been the staple of some great Italian teams in the past, <laughs> I did not uh, appreciate that they they came in with that attitude, but no look, Pioli honestly has been great for this club like this guy took over on an interim basis and and when he first took over i can 't even i 've already forgotten who it was that was supposed to actually take his job and then Pioli just went on a run and and they they named him the the full time manager and let him stay on and he's done a tremendous job this season they've really fallen off the last few weeks you know i think they're nine points back of inter now which is just the fact that it's inter makes it really disgusting but (laughs) um their their title chances are over they're out of the europa league it's just about staying in the champions league spot now which for this club as sad as it is to say given how historic they are that would be big just getting back in the champions league so yeah definitely i noticed like slight changes like you were mentioning that Pioli made today and in general i think he's been great despite the recent uh, slide.
2: The similarities between these two clubs is so uncanny. You you just mentioned Pioli, interim manager. Solskjaer was the interim manager, went on a run, got a contract. You talk about the last time you guys won the Scudetto in 2011, United haven't won since 2013. You talk about United just being like, "Hey, let's make top four and get back in the Champions League. That's exactly what you're talking about. You talk about United, you know, not really having a striker and then Cavani comes along and then you have the same thing on your side with Zlatan. If he's not there, like you're talking about old strikers here. You're just toothless in attack, right? Every time you're saying something, you're making a point, man. It's just, it's so similar what both fan bases are going through with (laughs) history clubs.
1: I remember like a few years ago when, when Milan was still like really in the middle of their slide and and when they'd play like a, a Europa League match, and I just like couldn't get up for it because so I was like, "Man, this sucks." Like I, I want to like this is we're AC Milan, It should be Champions League or nothing. I'm not, and and now I've just accepted it. I mean, you know what? Like they were down in the dumps. I can't I can't judge them based on what you know Milan of past generations have done. Like this is who they are now. I don't know. Maybe you guys feel the same way with United, and it's just like, you no, know, it would have been huge for them to again as sad and almost pathetic as it sounds to say given where this club was for so long it would have been really big to make the (laughs) Europa League quarterfinals and the fact that it would have been beating United I think made it a lot you know what I mean like um Who like who did uh, Tottenham lose to? Yeah, I was going to say
0: in? at least at least one of us didn't lose three nil to Zagreb <laughs> in the second leg. Right.
1: So so there's an example, right? If if like this matchup had been <laughs> against Zagreb and and Milan had won, I would have been happy, but it would have been like, all right, they should win that game. Let's see what they do. But beating United to get to the quarters of Europa League would have actually been something, and that speaks to I think maybe like the mutual respect between the clubs and these like legendary clubs, but also maybe a little bit to how far each club has fallen to or like this this was pretty big
0: yeah like i've sort of become a subscriber of you know all the people who say oh this is manchester united this is what has to happen i'm like you almost have to disconnect from that to get back to the top you have to accept where your club is and exactly the battles that you have to go through like for me i look at yeah united made the champions league and were knocked out but if they can stay in the top four, like it's been a while since they can say that they've made consecutive Champions League appearances. And so that's a step forward. And so you just keep building all over again. So you really have to disconnect from that mentality of just like, oh, we are Manchester United and therefore all these things are reasonable expectations. Like look at the players on the pitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, man. It's the same for Milan. Like if you, especially before the Zlatan uh, substitution, If you look at the, the 10, the 11 guys, you know, Milan put out there today. If you look at their lineup last week, like uh, no one's looking at that lineup thinking they're world beaters, you know? So again, it's, you, you make a good point. You have to separate yourself from what the, like the club's glory years. You can't be arrogant about it because it's like, yo, this is, they, they've made this bed. They are what they are. Milan hasn't been a true European power in like a decade now. and, And you have to accept that and you can't. You can't root for against them based on what they were a decade ago. And the other thing too, and like, I know for United, this isn't really a problem because there's a lot more money in the EPL and United's one of the richest clubs in any sport in the world. But man, in Italy, there are a lot of issues with um, finances for even some of the big clubs. And so again, as sad and pathetic as it might sound, Milan getting back to the champions league is actually a pretty big deal, like financially and, and for what they can do in building the club going forward. So I'm definitely not above being as completely rattled as I was today over a Europa League elimination. Like This is where my club is now, and it is what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we can zoom back in uh, on the players that are playing today and hand out some awards. Let's start with maybe the Beckham boot. Uh, Across both sides, who do you guys think
2: was the worst player on the pitch? Carl, let's start with you. I know earlier on you talked about Marcus Rashford. And in my opinion, Vivek, you were very, very kind to Marcus Rashford. <laughs> I thought he was a hot pile of garbage today. He was terrible. And I was watching him. There was a, a point where, like, uh, I think Scott played a ball, Fred dummied it, and Rashford was supposed to run. And he's standing next to Luke Shaw. And I was like, this guy doesn't seem up for it. He's either not fit to play or he's just... Not into it. Maybe he's tired or whatever it is. Like you mentioned, you know, playing ninety minutes against West Ham after being injured. But I was not happy with him at all. I know Dan James on the other side was giving the ball away, but I was much more impressed with what he was doing, and that's saying something, <laughs> right? So Marcus Rashford for me was the uh, Beckham boot far and away. Ash, what about you?
1: I'd probably give it to Castileo. I mean, I I wasn't impressed with Kalulu either, but I thought Castileo just like. He, he he provided nothing to me like at no point in that first half that i feel like he truly threatened you know or or may like and carl you mentioned it it was easy for Maguire. like he harry Maguire didn't really have to worry about anything in the first half and i know it's not just on the guy at the top of the four two three one playing the false nine but you know a lot of that is on him you know a, a good player in that role or a, a really threatening player on his game in that role can make opposing defenses have to worry about him, even when maybe play doesn't look threatening, right? You have to be aware of him. And I just don't think Castileo was in the right spots. I don't think he was threatening enough. So again, I don't know how much of that was game plan maybe and the fact that Milan knew that they could coast to a a nil-nil draw and get through, but I'd have to give it to Castileo.
0: There's another similarity between the two sides. He's your Tony Marshall.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
2: for real. For real. Like, who's your Beckham boot? I, the
0: tiebreaker, I was gonna give it to Marcus Rashford, but considering United went through, I I feel like I'd rather give it to a Milan player. And Cash makes a good argument, so I'm I'm good with Casalea. Uh, but you know the, all the points you made about Rashford, I I do agree. He was awful. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt because I remember the West Ham match on Sunday. I was thinking, how has Ole not made a single sub? Like everyone played ninety minutes at some point you have to manage the situation. You've got a huge fixture coming up. And so I put some of that on on Ole, especially with Rashford coming back from an injury. And like I said, with Milan going out, it makes it a bit easier. Moving on to the Cantona caller, the best player uh, for United. I feel like this is an easy one. I mean, like we said, it, it was pretty lifeless for the most part. There was only one player that seemed to make a difference and you know, not to pit them against each other, but you look at the impact Bruno had before and after Bruno himself was pretty bad in that first half like he was misplacing passes Um, he couldn't really link up with anyone so uh, there was a one opportunity where he had a shot where the ball was played across and he smashed it way over the bar it was a better chance than that and then Pogba comes on and it's like boom instantly uh, the game changes so pretty easy for me well although I will shout out I know you said that Harry Maguire was clearing out a lot of balls but I thought Lindelof made a couple of crucial interventions where like if he doesn't get that toe end of his boot on it, uh, it, it's on a plate for one of the Milan players to score.
1: Wasn't it him as well? I don't even remember if it was the first half or the second. I think it was the second half. Um, uh, wasn't it him that had the the sliding tackle where Milan was like yeah. protesting for a handball? It clearly wasn't. It was just a great sliding tackle.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, Cassie yeah. had the shot, oh, the cross, and then That's right. he hit yeah. his leg. Yeah, that yeah. was that was Lindelof as well. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree with you. I think Paul Pogba was absolutely immense. And you could see Bruno is just like, okay, there's somebody else they need to mark, not just me. So I get a little bit more time on the ball. I can go into spaces I want to go into. World of difference, you could see that for sure. In, in terms of the last award, the noisy neighbor, Milan's best player, basically. Who would you give that to, Cash?
1: I mean, I was saying earlier that it was like just a really uninspiring effort overall. I didn't think there were any real moments of brilliance. I mean, in the in the game in general, I thought there was one moment of brilliance. and It was from Pogba, but on my landslide, I I don't think Donnarumma like had a you know an otherworldly performance. But I think on a night when no one else was really inspiring, I thought Donnarumma was really solid, and I thought there were a lot of times where it, it looked like there was a threatening opportunity for United you know, if a rebound even spilled out. And I thought Donnarumma did a really good job of just kind of collecting a lot of those and making sure there were no second opportunities. I, he wasn't great, obviously, on the Pogba finish, but I think a lot of that had more to do with just Pogba's brilliance as opposed to anything Donnarumma did wrong. So yeah, on a normal night, this performance would not be, you know, the best out of 11. But I, I think tonight it was, which speaks more to, I think, how in, uninspiring his teammates were to, than anything he did. But I thought he did enough in his job that it Milan should have rewarded him with maybe one. What about you, Vivek?
2: Yeah,
0: I think that's a good shout. I think the only other player that uh, I had in the mix was Teo Hernandez. I thought, especially in the first half, uh, he was pretty effective. And again, I, I don't think he had much to do as far as his, as his uh, defensive responsibilities were, were concerned. And that is a reflection on both sides in the first half. But yeah, I think there was a bit of a drop-off in that second half. So... Uh, I'm happy to go with uh, Donnarumma.
2: Yeah, I think, you know what, I would agree. The only other guy that I would give a shout out to is Timori. I thought Man. positionally he was in all the right spots. I thought Timori, he, he did well a lot of the time when James was coming through down the wing and he was getting past Teo Oscar. Uh, Timori was there to snuff him out. And I was impressed with him to say the least.
1: Man, Timori has been great for Milan. Like I, that tackle he had, right before they they scored the equalizer last week in the box where like uh, there's like a handful of defenders on the planet who can make that tackle and get all ball and not concede a penalty there. I think he had another one like that today that was a little more iffy. Um, But in general, Tamori's been great for this club and uh, I think that the deal, there was like an option to buy. And I hope both for Milan's sake and also just to see Chelsea fans cry. I really hope (laughs) that they take him up on that offer because I didn't know admittedly a lot about him, until um he got loaned to Milan like I didn't even realize he was born in Calgary until um I I read up on him with his first game in Milan but man the guy's really impressive he he is positionally more sound than uh, what I was reading from Chelsea blogs and stuff before that but also he's just so quick and athletic that a lot of times when he's not in the right position or gets beat he just makes up for it and catches the guy so yeah I've been really impressed with him
0: I, I think the last thing I want to ask you about, Cash, before we let you go is just your impressions on Diogo Dalo and what he's done uh, with Milan over the course of the season. Because obviously, United kid, I, I imagine it was pretty awkward for him to come on as a sub and try to get Milan back in it <laughs> with his parent club yeah. on the other side.
1: Yeah, he's been like, all right. Like, I he hasn't done anything I don't think that like has made me, you know, like I was just mentioning with Tamori, like instantly I was like, whoa, like who's this kid? This guy's got a future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's been that far, but I think he's been solid enough. And I think even like the commentators were pointing it out today too, because he was on there. And then obviously Zlatan was on there, uh, ex-United player. And there was someone else was on the pitch. Because I remember that when when he came on, the commentator made the comment that he had come on, Zlatan was on, and there was also a City player on the pitch. Diaz. Uh, and, that's right. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting there with like 30% of uh, Milan's outfield players either being ex-united or city players but uh, yeah he's, i think he's been fine like he's been solid but i've just been so enamored with tamori that it's been hard for me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah to give anyone else credit yeah
0: cash thanks so much for being a part of this episode obviously commiserations on the loss but this was this was a yeah. blast um obviously people know where to find your basketball work uh, at the score listen to pound the rock one of the best basketball podcasts out there why
1: don't Appreciate you tell that, us
0: man. a little bit about Gomorrah uh and that oh, shoot. okay project that you've started uh why people should watch the show in the first place and then check out the podcast.
1: Okay, man, I'm actually really happy you brought that up. So yeah, so um for anyone that hasn't heard of it, Gomorrah is an Italian made um crime show, like organized crime show. Uh, and it's set in Naples and Napoli, where um, there's so there's like the three types of organized crime in Southern Italy, and, and you know everyone knows like the Cosa Nostra the mafia from Sicily, but in Napoli it's called the Camorra. And so they created this show called Gomorra, which is supposed to be a play on words of both Camorra, but also like Gomorra from like Sodom and Gomorrah in like the Bible days, and like basically like hell on earth in a way. Anyway, it's it's a really really amazing and like ruthless show that is unlike anything north american viewers have ever seen before when it comes to portraying italian organized crime like look obviously the godfather is great goodfellas is great sopranos is one of the greatest shows ever but it's still it's still made from this like north american point of view there's a lot of glamorizing and glorifying and what gamora does just like an incredible job of doing is showing you how low this life really is and also like in gamora like okay other than the bosses who maybe live a little more life of opulence like even like the second in command for a family is essentially like living in the slums in the street and and selling heroin and crack. Like it it just does a really good job of showing what the life really is and also is extremely ruthless in like a Game of Thrones sense where like it doesn't matter how major a character is, you cannot be certain that person is making it through an episode. It's just like very Ron, true to the streets. Everything is set in Napoli. All the characters, all the actors are from napoli like a lot of the cast members weren't even actors they were like people just from napoli who like look the part and the dialect they use is very authentic obviously you can find it with english subtitles but yeah if you if you like crime shows if you look kind of like gang ish shows um if you like true crime because a lot of the stuff is actually based on real things that happened in naples in the last decade or so i think you'll like this show and i think it will like be very powerful for people like i said that like watching that kind of stuff but have never really seen it presented like this in it's like raw ruthless form Um, and so anyway um for for pound the rock i had interviewed ryan sadu who's a a director a canadian director who had done um a documentary true north about you know kind of the rise of um, canadian ballers and um, he had also done one on king handles a great canadian director who's done a lot around hoops and i had him on the pod to talk about that and we were just kind of shooting the shit like off air at the end. And I don't even know how we got on the subject of that we both liked Gamora. And he mentioned like he had always kind of thought of wanting to do a podcast because it's got this kind of cult following among the English speaking world, but there's like no place for fans to kind of congregate and talk about the show. So uh he pitched the idea of doing it with me hosting it, and it's honestly gone better than we could have imagined. We've we've recorded four episodes, we've only put one out, but like um three of the four episodes we got like pretty major cast members to come on and one of the four we actually got the costume designer to come on which was amazing um so so yeah like we're trying to get more cast and crew it's going well appreciate you plugging it and and giving me the time to promote it um also i don't know if anyone's heard of the show because this one's actually on amazon prime zero 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 but uh that one's blowing up on amazon prime and it's the same creator who did gamora so yeah if anyone's uh, watch that maybe they can check out gamora and eventually check out the pod but appreciate what you said about pound the rock and uh appreciate you having me on um it it was it was really fun to to talk to you guys not so fun when the, the final result but definitely a blast talking to you guys and i hope i hope i didn't cause anyone to um turned the pot off when they had to listen to like five minutes of me waxing poetic about italian football at the beginning and like roberto baggio i could just hear like someone tuning in for a united podcast and like five minutes in all they've heard about is roberto baggio and being like you know what maybe not this week so appreciate you guys giving me that platform
0: nah man we're all we're all footy fans first right so i think i think it's always cool to hear how everyone sort of gets invested in the game
1: uh, one one extra thing i'll i'll throw in there if you haven't stopped recording yet of is course. that uh i got to shout out that vivek is a great footballer who has helped the score <laughs> fc in uh, in a pinch sometimes it started off with us needing bodies a couple of times and bringing vivek on to join join our already great team but he definitely made it better and ended up becoming a full-time member of the team before the pandemic robbed us of uh, last season but uh yeah so i did want to get that shout out in there because vivek has been great for the score fc as well
0: oh thanks man i appreciate he went that from,
2: uh, he went from interim to permanent eh? just like the manager <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, just
1: like pioli you know?
0: <laughs> cash uh again thanks so much for joining us uh, everyone you can follow him on twitter at joseph casharo and like i said check out his great work at the score carl some good vibes for united again uh It feels good to feel that for a little bit. Uh, It's been up and down. They advance to the Europa League quarters along with Arsenal, Slavia Prague, Granada, Roma, Villarreal, Ajax, and Dinamo Zagreb. We'll see what the draw is on Friday. The fixtures will be, I believe, on April the 8th and the 15th. For now, we have another Sunday fixture to look forward to. Another cup fixture to look forward to. The FA Cup against lester what are your expectations
2: now you know this is a pretty pivotal week that we're in for our season we've uh, gone past the first hurdle uh, i'm hoping that can really inspire the guys to proceed or progress in the fa cup and i think uh, i i feel pretty confident i know Leicester is a team that uh, definitely plays a high tempo style their squad is pretty thin this is the same thing that happened last season they had a good season and then it kind of petered out towards the end because they lost some key players we'll see what happens in this game I'm curious to see the team that Ole puts out I know we'll discuss who we think he should put out uh, we've been on a roll of late haven't we with the predictions
0: <laughs> yes we have uh, give ourselves a pat on the back there getting to know Ole a little too well maybe but I guess this mm-hmm. is what happens when you zoom in on every single game right I think when we're watching as fans you don't you know, don't, don't really invest that time to think about all these things. And now that we are, uh, it shows that you can really pick up on the patterns a lot easier and that type of thing. So what are your expectations uh, for the eleven? where obviously Henderson's been on a great run, but De Gea is back in the mix? Do you think he gets a shot or no, because it's a cup fixture?
2: I think uh, Henderson's probably going to continue in goal. I think he's he has been on a good run and this is a good tryout period for him getting a, a lot of games in quick succession so it'll do him a world of good and it might make him a little bit more patient uh, when it comes to eventually taking that number one spot if that's what happens uh, apart from that though I think in the back line you're going to see Eric Bai come into the lineup to take care of the pace that Leicester have on show with Jamie Vardy you're going to still have Aaron wan Basaka, Maguire and Shaw according to me uh, do you see anything different No, I think, you know, we've talked about Lindelof
0: and what that matchup looks like with Jamie Barty. You know, I think this is the right time to get Eric Bailly in In front of them. I think that's where maybe you see a bit of a change because it's asking a lot out of Fred and Scott to just keep going match after match. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Matic in the mix to start. But then again, knowing that you have Pogba in your back pocket to maybe give you another 45, maybe Van de Bake to give you 45, whoever it may be, I think that, that'll be the rotation. And you might see a sort of a circumspect approach for the first 45 before United really go for it in the second half. I think I think you know that's where Solskjaer might try to do a bit of schedule management, if you will.
2: Well, there's also a break coming up after this, isn't there?
0: Yep, there is there is the international break. So this uh, will be the last fixture before United get back to it on April the 4th against Brighton.
2: Yeah, so keeping that in mind, I think, you know what? You'll see Matic and Scott. I'm just taking a guess. It could be Scott Alfred, And then up top, I'm thinking you're going to see Greenwood, Bruno, Pogba, and then Cavani. I've gone very different. Now you make some very good points and you're most likely going to be right. Pogba probably won't start given that he's just coming back from an injury. And so we want to take it easy with him, but this is the lineup I would like to see, to see how everything mm-hmm. goes. Now, I don't know if Cavani is fit to start yet. That's just a guess I'm taking because he didn't play today. So I'm, he got another week's rest. He didn't travel. There was a uh, flare up
0: when he did his last training. And so that's why he didn't even travel with the team. So.
2: Okay. We'll have to see what what Sunday looks like. And then I completely agree with you. I see a lot of 45-minute rotations. And given this is a cup competition, we know that you're allowed to make five subs uh, Mm -hmm. instead of three. And I think Ole is going to make full use of that. And I won't be surprised if you get to see Donny van de Beek play, you know, 30 minutes somewhere there. And then Rashford come on. I'm waiting to hear if there was a reason Ole took him off because of any injury or just poor play from today's game, so that'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. What about you, Vivek? What what do you think the the front combination is going to be?
0: Yeah, I think Bruno, that's that's an automatic. I think Rashford will slot in on that left side, even if it was a bad performance. I, I think on the whole, when you look at his performance this season, that was more of an aberration. So I think he'll slot in on that left side, getting just the 45 minutes. It should serve him well for the Leicester match. You probably look at Greenwood and then, you know, the more I think about it, there has been a lot asked of Daniel James, especially, you know, it was funny. Once United scored the goal, I was like, I don't see Daniel James coming off for defensive purposes mm-hmm. because you know that he's going to put in the work. Uh, and so maybe a lot has been asked for uh, of him where you might see Ahmad Diallo, you might see Van de Beek you might see some type of change there uh, on that right side where Ole thinks, Hey, let me manage the game for the first 45 minutes. And then you go for it in the next 45, knowing that, Hey, there might be an extra half an hour after that as well. So that's, that's why I lean towards Pogba probably
2: not starting. Okay. No, fair enough. I I think you're right. I'm just hoping that United can win the game. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we have some fake injuries so that the players don't travel on international duty and they can uh, get a bit of a break. Cause I, <laughs> man, I do not want to see them travel and then potentially get put in quarantine and then they can't play. Cause that's going to just disrupt the season again.
0: I mean, that was basically how Alex Tellez Manchester United career started. Remember yeah. with, with the Brazil fixtures and the COVID just one and-
2: COVID after another, right? Or it's yeah. quarantine. You come into contact with somebody. So yeah, I mean, I guess, you know what? It could be worse. You could, you could be 2 up in a tie and lose 3-2 like Tottenham. So, you know, all things considered, uh, not too bad.
0: <laughs> I think that's the perfect note to wrap up on. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl, myself, and Joseph Cacharo for this episode. Thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.